Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. Thank you, Lila. Um, Thank you to our team. I'm so, I love being a part of a team that that is listening to what, God is telling them whether or not we have lyrics on the screen or not, that Jason was was able and willing to, to make the adjustment. I did not know that we were going to be having a prettiest pastor competition t- today or else um, I may have gotten a haircut. But um, welcome to uh, Palm Sunday, a day that the more that I look at it, the more I get encouraged to teach about this. I haven't had a chance to um, to teach on this uh, too often, and I'm really excited to because I think that this is one of those those opportunities in the Christian life where we we use words and we talk about a day um, a lot without really looking closely at it, just because we we've, we've assumed that what we've been handed down throughout our childhood or or the ways that we have celebrated this. Um, in the past is all that there is to it. And I think that there's something really beautiful and calculated about Palm Sunday that teaches us about Jesus. Um, I, uh, I I want to encourage everybody, if you didn't have a chance to go and listen to last week's message by Alvia, go check that out. He talks about the journey from the head to the heart, the idea of covenant. Um, I would encourage you to go check that out. If this is your first week at LBCF, um, maybe you are looking for a place to uh, join a community. Maybe the upcoming Easter celebration is something that is bringing you into church. And I just want to say welcome. Um, And we have some really exciting things coming up this upcoming week. And Barb will tell you more about that during uh, the family business coming up. But we have been in this journey of Lent, this this preparation time where we enter into that downward mobility of Jesus that, that did not try to ascend, that did not try to overpower, but instead joined with people in their most painful places. And I think that especially as we look at Holy Week coming up, rem- remember that Jesus was very calculated. This entire week, every interaction that Jesus had was very intentional. And so if you want to look at what um, our Savior would do with his final week, sort of where he would place himself, all of these things are very intentional. And when we look at Palm Sunday, this is a great example of of that. And I would encourage you to read uh, any of the Gospels accounts of Holy Week, because I think what we end up doing, um, even though it is a great reminder to uh, to remember that Easter is coming, right? That that we have that beautiful reminder, and we don't have to imagine um, what if Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead because he did, and so we can hang on to that. But there's something beautiful about entering into all of these amazingly powerful and sometimes really emotionally heavy days. That are coming up, um, and remember what it's like to be in that place of anticipation and longing. Um, what does the Garden of Gethsemane mean for you now? Who do you need to stay awake with you when you're praying? All of these things, which are great, and I encourage you, and we will be pointing you to some resources as well for Holy Week. Um, I want to start off today 
by telling a couple by by telling a story uh when i'm not teaching when i'm not pastoring and doing this i am an outdoor photographer and i've had a chance to travel to some amazing places um and there's i've had a few experiences where I've gotten to, I've been flown to Belize to take pictures of this resort that was opening up. And I've been flown to Switzerland to be on the top of, of mountains and climb to these remote places. And it's been amazing. The reality is that in each of those experiences, I would have assumed from the pictures that I had seen and from the experiences I assumed to have that the top of the mountain experience in Switzerland would have been much harder to get to or, or harder to experience just because of the pictures I had seen look really remote and out of nowhere. But what those pictures don't show you is the gondola that takes you from the ground to the very top. And it has a path carved out for you to kind of walk up to, to take this picture of this epic scenery that you sort of assume people would take a three day hike to get to. And most photographers are smart enough to leave out how easy it is to get to these places. And then uh, on the reverse, when I was in Belize, um, I was the most sick that I've ever been. I got dehydrated. I got food poisoning. Um, we had to hike through just waist high grass bugs to get to these pictures which you would assume that this resort everything is handed to you but those pictures were way harder to get than the pictures at the top of the mountain and the the reason i tell those stories is because we assume that there's some sort of bait and switch right that that they want to sh they want to sell you an experience but in reality it's way different now just as with Jesus, there actually is no bait and switch. It's just what we assume and what we bring to those very real experiences. And what we see in Palm Sunday is people bringing a lot of assumptions and a lot of hopes and anticipations that are challenged when they look at the reality of who Jesus is. So let's pull up that first slide because I want to show this while I read John 12. So these will be questions that I want to leave on the screen. Um, I didn't put the entire text on the screen today, but I want you to just be thinking about these questions because we'll be unpacking these today. So I will read for you. I'm reading out of this um, ancient paper manuscript called a Bible. Um, John 12 verses 1 through 19. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. Having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial for the poor you always have with you, but you will not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. 
So the chief priest made plan to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and then had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone out after him. So we have this story that if you've been a part of church, uh, maybe growing up, you, you might have been handed one of these, you know, walking into church and saying, we're going to wave this around. And this is what Palm Sunday is all about. This, these beautiful palm leaves and you're going to wave this and you're going to sing Hosanna. And it just became something that we did um, without much teaching about what it meant. And what I'm going to bring to you today um, might be dense for some of you. It may sound controversial, and I don't. I have a hesitation because I really believe that being faithful to what the text is teaching us means that we once again have to engage what Jesus, what following him means about politics um, in our world now. And there's such a temptation right now for people to tune out because so much of church life feels like it has entered the political realm. But I'm telling you, we cannot look at Palm Sunday without that reality coming through. So my hope, my whole goal is that today would be biblical and that we would not swerve from the left or to the right of that reality that we would go exactly where it's pointing us. So can we pull up that next slide? Um, the question that I really think is addressed by Palm Hyundai is this, how does our allegiance to Christ and his kingdom call us to engage the politics of our nation? Um, over the past, and we can take that slide down now. Um, I'll, I'll be pulling up some slides coming up soon. But um, over the last year uh, and over the last four or five years, many of my pastor friends who have been trying to find a way to faithfully say what they believe Jesus is calling us to say in our unique American backdrop that we have right now where things are very political and a lot of the life that we have um seems to flow through those channels. Um, many pastors who I know have been told, stay in your lane, right? Teach about the Bible. Don't get into politics. Um, and they've been told to stay out of that. Um, and I know that some of that is coming from the concern that we've seen uh, how possible it is to abandon the gospel to participate in the culture wars that are happening. That's very possible. And there's a lot of concern for that. But we have to notice how the life of Jesus, very committed to the um, to the people, to love, to drawing all people to himself, today on Palm Sunday went directly into the most political moment you could imagine. 
Um, and I think that there's a crisis of Christian fortitude when our legal citizenship as Americans comes into conflict with our soul's citizenship as people of Jesus. There's a fortitude that we have to have that when we look at Jesus, I believe he's offering us. So there's no way around it. Palm Sunday was originally um, very aggressive, deeply political. Um, And let's talk about that. So can I pull up that slide of the map of Long Beach? And let's make that one big because I want to talk about that really big. So in case you didn't know, uh, Jerusalem is not... uh, is, is not this massive place, right? You could fit Jerusalem in Bixby Knolls. <laughs> you could fit Jerusalem in Signal Hill, right? Like it's, that's about as big as it is. And I want to talk about what was happening during Passover, because if you didn't know, there was this annual feast where the, where the Israelites would come and they, every, per, every Israelite within 20 miles of that small town um, was required to come into Jerusalem and they would, there was this, um, recollection of what happened in the story of Exodus, right? Passover. We, it's one word, but it's also two, right? Pass over. This was a celebration of the reminder that when God told the people of Israel to paint the blood over their doorposts, that the angel of death would pass over and the freedom that God invited his people into by drawing them out of Egypt. And so there's all of these meals that celebrate that, that signify that. Um, So there was a census done on the lambs that were slaughtered for Passover uh, during Jesus's time. And they found that uh, at this time, there was around a quarter of a million sheep that were slaughtered. So even if it was just a quarter of a million people, um, that would be a lot. But the law was that in order for one sheep to be slaughtered, you had to have at least 10 people to represent that one sheep. So you have 10 people for every one sheep. So that means that at the very least in Jerusalem at this time were two and a half million people. So there were two and a half million people crammed into Bixby Knolls or Signal Hill or whatever, however you want to see it. That tiny place, Jerusalem, was housing two and a half million people. So every year, this was a big deal, right? I mean, bustling with people, business. There was a lot of people that saw a um, opportunity to market things and sell things. So when you see Jesus go and flip over the tables, um, know that there was there was a lot of people that saw this as an opportunity to make a lot of money. Um, so we see that this is a this is something that's big every year. Um, so this liberation from from Egypt was being recounted. Um, it's something that has sunk very deep into the to the story and the narrative of these people longing for another freedom, another exodus, somebody to come and take them out of this captivity that Rome had them in. This year, the year that Jesus rides in, was an even bigger deal. (laughs) 
<laughs> the the Messiah that they had been longing for, that they had been telling stories about, that they had been recounting the story of Exodus and Passover for years and years, and their grandparents had been talking about it, and their great grandparents, and they'd been telling stories about it, and they'd been reading about it, and it had become this thing where hanging on to hope that this would ever even happen was becoming really hard. Because when you long for something long enough, at some point it it, it becomes heavy and burdensome. But there had been these like rumors building that this Messiah, this, this rabbi that was coming was raising people from the dead. Only one person could do that, right? And so there was this anticipating story, this rumbling all two and a half million at least people that had come to celebrate this were saying, I think it's happening now. I think that this Messiah we've been longing for is here. And so even before Jesus rides in, people were talking about it. People were hoping. And so that's the backdrop of this anxious anticipation and hope and longing and history that they bring these palm leaves out, right? That they bring these out. So what? Are, why palms? What is palms what is the point of it? And I want to bring up the next slide for you. I want to show you a coin of the ancient Israel lights here. Before they were under Roman occupation, they would have had their own currency. And on their currency was this palm. It was their Statue of Liberty. It was their White House. It, it had become a symbol to signify their identity, their freedom. And so when, when we see that, yes, it also means um, goodness and victory. But when, you sh when they bring out palms, it's not like Jesus rode in on Palm Sunday, right? Like it's not just uh, convenient that Jesus showed up on that day. It became Palm Sunday because of what happened that day. And I know that that may seem obvious, but we need to remember that they did not bring palms out all the time because a palm was a symbol of being freed from Roman occupation. So it was a symbol that was actually telling the people that had in power that their time is up, that their that freedom was coming now. And so they were taking a risk by bringing palms out because they knew that they were saying to their occupiers that our king that's come to liberate us in the same way that you've heard us talk about Egypt being liberated is here now. And we've turned Palm Sunday into this photo op where we dress up our kids really nice and we take pictures and everybody holds palms and sings Hosanna. Uh, but it's what Cornell West and Travis Smalley call the Santa Clausification of Palm Sunday. It's the exact same way that we have narrowed down and turned Palm Sunday into this week. And, um, and, and we've made it small. And the reality is what it's saying to the surrounding powers of the world is that their time is up. And so when we do that, when we throw that in the face of the power of the world, uh, the world doesn't like that. And so it also meant victory when people would show palms, when, when kings would ride in on horses, it meant that they were being overcoming with victory and power and might. Um, but 
when a king would ride in on a donkey, it meant that he was coming proclaiming peace. So there's this anticipation that the people of God have have had built into them since the time of Exodus that that there will be another one to come that will free you and not just temporarily, but will bring you ultimate freedom. And so when we come together and we celebrate this thing like Passover and when we wave palms, what we're saying is that the world power has nothing over us and that their time is up and that our king is here now. Laying down their palms was their way of saying, this will be our new king who will free us from oppression. There was this moment on 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 Saturday Night Live, I believe in 1993, Sinead O'Connor was performing. She held up a picture of the Pope, and at the end of her song, she ripped it, and uh, and a lot of people's heads <laughs> exploded because they were um, you you don't do that. She had found a massive platform to make a major. St- Statement, And it's hard for us to imagine what might be a similar statement as uh, 2.5 million people who had been longing for this Savior to come. Jesus very intentionally said, I'm going to ride in into that moment where he could have been discreet, right? He could have gone in, in the cover of night, taken the back streets. He could have still accomplished what he did did and he has said i don't want to cause a stir so i um i will just very quietly enter jerusalem knowing that if i do it when all of when the lights are up when the sun is up that it's it's going to cause a stir because a lot of people will um will take that as me claiming that seat of being the king but jesus said yeah that's what i want to do i want to show these people that I'm saying, yes, that's me. And I'm willing to take on the fact that that says Rome, that says to Rome, yeah, that's me. The one that's going to come and liberate these people from you. And there was this anticipation that it would come with a sword. There was this anticipation that it would come by overthrowing Rome, that by that what Jesus was calling these people into was all that they knew was overpowering, right? In their history, they had what happened in Egypt, right? That there were these 10 signs that were economic and emotional and physical and spiritual and bloody and that God rescued them um, in many forms and brought them out. And Jesus is coming to say that in my kingship, in my kingdom, the way that I'm going to free you is going to look different than that. So our palms, we we wave, proclaim the lordship of Jesus. It's a symbol of revolution. And it would have been seen as an insurrection. So this is a political statement by these people bringing their palms out and saying, this is our return to our self-governance out of Rome. And um, Rome was a particularly brutal oppressor. So let me bring up those questions again, see uh, what we started with. So how big was Passover? Um, As big as you can imagine, 2.5 people crammed into that tiny place. The anticipation was massive. This was the Messiah coming that that is self-admitting, I am the one to bring you freedom. 
the entry means that that the king is here, that the, the inauguration of that freedom begins now, that palms were the symbol of their self-governance. And why do we need this right now? We And we can take that slide down now, see if, if you want, but um, we need this today because we've wrongly assumed that there are only two postures, that you are politically connected, that you align and you argue um, typically at the cost of loving your enemies and the willful ignorance of what the person you voted for and the atrocities they might be um, bringing about also, or you stay disconnected. You don't engage. And that's typically with the dismissal of all the responsibilities that Jesus calls to, to our neighbors. Jesus calls us to a faithful responsibility. And I believe that the way around this, the third posture is, is, um, is, is that we are, we are called to follow Jesus. And if that means that it goes directly to the most political point possible, that we follow him there. We need this today because the hurting world that's crying Hosanna through their angry Facebook posts, that's crying Hosanna through their grief, through their broken relationships, need to know that Jesus rides in saying that, yes, he's the Messiah come to rescue and that it will look a little different. Um, Jesus is not coming to say that he's just the perfect view of what a politician is. He's coming to say, I'm offering you something entirely different that will place you at odds with the empire that surrounds you. And we really need to know that because if we don't recognize that, our hopes and our anticipations and who we believe Jesus to be will always just serve what we bring to the table ahead of time. It will be like that trip to Switzerland where I assumed that it would be a three-day hike and all of a sudden it's a half an hour gondola with hot chocolate at the top and and it's easy right that that my anticipations actually formed the way that I would receive that experience my anticipations will form the way that I receive that experience what we anticipate about Jesus needs to be reformed by who he actually is because when we can do that we can enter the political realm we can enter this how do we talk about things formed by Jesus that we have to make sure that we are willing to hold our leaders accountable and we are also able to, uh, uh, that everything we do is under the banner of Jesus. So there's an expectations versus reality, a couple of slides that I um, I want to take a breather here. So um, let's pull up those slides here. I don't know if you've seen any of these, but there's um, what we anticipate versus what Reality is, you can go to the first one, how I feel when I wear a tight shirt versus how I actually look. Yep. Uh, how What sleeping with pets is, is like. I know that a lot of you sleep with your pets, so you, you can confirm whether this is true or not. Um, and then the next one, excuse me. <laughs> and then, um, so there's this, and then there's one more after that, see? Yeah. <laughs> so there's this this expectation of what we would want Jesus to be versus the reality of what happens when he shows up. And I want to make sure that that what we 
what we expect from Jesus is based on reality and the reality that we see in Passover. And we can go to that next slide. See, because God's liberation from Egypt was not just a theoretical, emotional, or spiritual one. God's liberation is also economic and physical and political as well. And so when we look at what Jesus comes to bring, it is a freedom, but it is not by avoiding these hard conversations. And it's also not by sacrificing our Christian witness in order to participate with that. It's saying that entering reality, which is what Jesus was most committed to, meant that we would have to face these things. And when we look at Egypt, we look at God being committed to all of these actual material ways in which the human life needs liberation. So what I'm not saying is to go get involved in every social media argument. Oh my God, please no. There's more than you have time for, I promise. It's also not to campaign for or become an evangelist for your favorite politician. I'm not saying to cut people out of your life that don't agree with you or who aren't as fervent about the political posture that you hold. What I am saying is that our allegiance to Christ and his kingdom calls us to something much riskier, but also much less sexy, maybe. I don't know what word, but like it's not as polarized and um, it's it's not going to have, it's not going to feel as much like clickbait because it's calling us to something that um, is more humble. Um, our orientations to others is laying our lives down for each other. So in our political reality of how we are formed to face the empire, are you laying your life down for each other? Our orientation to others is that we would not abandon, minimize, or exploit each other. We are called to love and pray for our enemies. Our allegiance to Christ means that our primary community is the church. Our allegiance to Christ means that we hold all earthly kings accountable. And yes, even the one that you voted for. Um, and anyone paying attention can see that our American politics is, um, is very insufficient at providing the, the change of heart, which is the kind of transformation that Jesus said he was interested in. That no matter how perfect an American politic could possibly be, it will not transform the human heart. Only engaging Jesus is the way that that will happen. So Jesus' answer is not that he is the fulfillment of Roman politics, but that his life is what the law had been pointing to, that it's through him that all nations would be blessed. So I have to make sure that I repeat this because this is the part that we would miss. It's through Jesus and his church that all nations would be blessed. It's not through him that we would convert Rome to bless all nations. And I think that that's an important distinction that it's through Jesus and the in, in the close look and participation with his life that hearts would be transformed, not to convert Rome. And I think that we get that mixed up. And one of the easy ways that we can sort of figure out whether or not we're participating the way that we should is look at the body of Christ. We are called the body of Christ. 
the church. So what did the physical body of Christ do? If it didn't ride into Jerusalem on a horse proclaiming power and overwhelming force to provide freedom, then the body of Christ, his church, doesn't get to do that. If the body of Christ, the physical body of Christ, does not take the sneaky back roads to avoid the hard realities of a political world, then the body of Christ, his church, doesn't get to do that. Where does the physical body of Christ show up and how does the manifestation of the body of Christ, his church, take cues from that and say, if Jesus doesn't avoid that, then we don't get to avoid that. If he faces that, we face that. And for so many of us, our whole worldview is wrapped up in our political, our American political identity, that it feels like that is our whole world. And Jesus had something to say about that. And it may take losing the whole world to gain your soul. So what if our engagement with the political world would be marked by our Christian allegiance? What if the palm leaf that you wave in the face of America shows what your loyalty is. Ask yourself, what it is, what is it that we can wave? How is it that we can show our loyalty to our primary citizenship in a kingdom that wants so much for your allegiance? And a lot of times that will be your money. And this is not a uh, sermon about tithing at all, but for you, it might be, right? Maybe it's the way you treat your your enemies. Maybe it's the way that you pray for people. Maybe it is the way that you participate with things online. But there is something that we have to wave as forcefully and as um, powerfully as our palm leaf now saying, this is our symbol that our king is here, that that America's reign over your life ends today, and that we raise up and we say, this is our primary allegiance and our king is here and he has come to provide freedom through a peaceful entry that is the jesus that is the kind of situation that palm sunday should be so we should feel this this heightened anticipation and i encourage you as you engage holy week that you would see that every interaction that jesus had this week is with that same amount of intentionality and it's beautiful and it's holy and it's powerful. And yes, it's political, but only in so that Jesus was interested in loving people. And he knew that that meant that that road would lead directly through the political world of Rome. And so it will for us as well. The body of Christ, his church cannot swerve away. And I encourage you to look at what ways have you overstepped and what ways have you avoided that does not follow in step with what Jesus would call us to do. Because I really want to be a part of a church that is following him so committedly that we would make sure that we follow in his footsteps. And so let me pray for us, and then I will send it over to Barb. Um, if you need to get your communion, this is another participation that we remember that Christ's invitation is not just into uh, the way we think, but that it is an embodied something that when we take it in, it means that the life of Christ physically becomes a part of our life too. So go get your communion. Barb will take you through that. Let me pray us out.
Lord, thank you that you came in saying, yes, I am the king that has come to provide that freedom. Help us to um, continue that hopeful longing anticipation. Thank you that you've come to provide freedom. Help us to cry out, Hosanna, Lord, save us, and to look to you to know what that freedom looks like and how you promised to bring it. Lord, let your church, please, God, let your church be marked by loving you and that all of the ways that we would in uh, that we would approach the political realities that we have to face because you face them, that it would be so soaked in our Christian baptism, Lord, that we would never have to sacrifice um, our discipleship to, to engage that, Lord. Help us to hold ourselves accountable. We belong to you first. You are our king. Hosanna, Lord, come and save us in Jesus' name. Amen.